0: Okay, great, uh, great prayer upon entering, so we'll pray that one. O God, who on the holy mountain didst reveal to chosen witnesses thy well-beloved Son, wonderfully transfigured in raiment white and glistening, mercifully grant that we, being delivered from the disquietude of this world, may by faith behold the King in his beauty, who with thee, O Father, and thee, O Holy Ghost, livest and reigneth one God, world without end. Amen. Okay, uh, where would you like that to go? Westfield House, okay. Uh, this will go to Westfield House. If you uh, if you haven't heard, Westfield House is looking for another tutor. I just saw the announcement the other day. So if you know of anyone who would be good for that, um, you can send your stuff directly to Westfield House. Um, we do have a connection with them, so they, I'm sure they would re- receive whatever you have to give. Um, there should be sign-in sheets coming around, so please sign in. Um, thanks to all the musicians. I thought this morning was great. Um, so, good job, thanks to all those folks, I know we did some, some cool stuff, but also some tricky stuff, so Jonathan, is Jonathan here? Like a musician, he's upstairs cleaning up, that's what he's doing. Okay, good. No, it was, it was unbelievable this morning, um, so well done all around, thanks to the choir, I know singing three services is not easy, so. Um, today, uh, you know, we've talked for a number of weeks now, I did about four weeks on the office of the ministry. Uh, and how that is distinct from the office or the priesthood of the baptized. And then uh, Pastor Bruzek took a swing at a couple weeks, clarifying some terms, authority and power, um, you know, apostle and Christian and things like that. Um, And then last week we came back down here and we sort of discussed, okay, now that we've talked about our spot as pastors and generally your spot as Christians, now to the nitty-gritty, what is your spot as part of the priesthood of the baptized? And I do think that's a better term because as Luther says, you know, how do you become a royal priest? You become a priest by virtue of your baptism. Um, and you heard it in the sermon this morning. I mean, part of the reason we're doing what we're doing is because the priesthood of the baptized voted on something, and so, um, and so we carry forward. But today I'd like to talk about just sort of the practicalities now. Um, and there's really, as you can see, this isn't a long outline. It, it, it's all basically biblical texts. Um, the text we talked about last week, Briefly was 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9. But there are some additional ones. And I know Pastor Bruzek had mentioned these the week before. Additional ones like Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 31. So here's what I'd like to do. How many of you like to talk? Come on. <laughs> Be honest. Okay, good. So I'm not. I don't want to talk a whole lot. What I want to do is read you these texts, point out a couple key words, or at least what jumps out at me, and then, uh, then go from there. So as you hear stuff, you know, raise your hand. Tell me what you think. As we sort of solidified last week, and I think it's very clear from the text, when you read First Peter, which is the only instance where someone uses the term royal priesthood. Now, granted, the duties of a royal priest are explained elsewhere, but that's the only time that word is used. As we saw there, um, spiritual sacrifices... And proclaiming the gospel are not the same thing as Eucharist and preaching. So your spiritual sacrifice is to buy markers that work. Otherwise, yeah, right. So your spiritual sacrifice is um, is what we'll find today in 1 Corinthians and also in Romans 12. And then to proclaim, you remember was a different Greek word. The Greek word for, for proclaim is ex anglo, give a message like the angels. And the Greek word for preach is keruso. And so, so when St. Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, public proclamation, he uses a very different word. So your task, as we've said a number of times, my task is to church the church, your task is to church the world. Okay? My task, the church, your task, the world. OK, so oftentimes people will say, you know, pastor, we ought to do more missions. Great idea. Who should do more missions? All of you, the priesthood of the baptized. OK, so let's take a look at these texts and see what sort of jumps out at us. First Peter 2, 5, 9 and eleven 25. I'm just going to read these. And stop me anytime. OK, beloved. That's a good thing. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Now, right away, I should have underlined ex- Underlined exiles. Why is that? What is an exile? Someone who's, An exile is not an emigre. An emigre has left and has no desire to go back. An exile has been kicked out and wants to go back home. So you're an exile from where? Yeah, That. okay, good. Let's be a little more Lutheran. Eden, yes, that's right. You're an exile from Eden, okay? Heaven has sort of an abstractness to it because you don't know what it's like from Germany. <laughs> <laughs> Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. Ex- who said that? Kovic? Word. Not another word out of you, buddy. An exile from Germany. Oh, boy. Already we've got something to confess. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you hold it, yeah. Okay, so in exile, you want to go back home. And yeah, home is heaven, and we sang about heaven this morning. But you don't know what heaven is like. What you do have a sense of is Eden, because the Lord describes what Eden looks like. And you remember, heaven and Eden are not two separate realities. I told you this last week in the sermon. The reason Jesus says, consider the lilies, is because there's a place called Eden. If there was no Eden, there would be no lilies. So, beloved, he loves them. He's their pastor, Peter. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now, what would those things be? Wow. Uh, yes, who said that? I expected that from you. Good. Let's find one that works. So passions of the flesh. Yes, it can be um, good. And don't be a Gnostic. I mean, don't sort of separate... the the passions of the mind from the passions of the flesh, they're all sort of one and the same. So, lust for power, good, which is different than um, the quest for authority. That's a very different thing. Pastor Bruzek will probably talk at some point about how much authority is a good thing, and I think you'll be surprised by that. But power is very different. If you think of all the grave sins that are ever committed, they all happen by force, by power, right? Lust for power, what are other passions of the flesh? Good. Good. Who said that? Greed. Now it's all coming out. Despair? That's interesting. Parse that for us. Yes, and that's the key. What you'll find is all these can be summed up as turning in on yourself. Right? Um, Luther had the great Latin phrase that he stole from St. Augustine. In cravatus, in sea. The will is always turned in upon itself. So at the end of the day, as a sinner, all you can ever think about is whom? Yourself. Right? And actually, from the Gospel for today, one of the ways you often think about yourself most is, what do you do? You fear. So I, I challenge you, think of one fear that doesn't concern yourself. You probably can't find one. At the end of the day, every fear, in some sense, is concerned with your own self. Okay? Anything else? Okay, keep going. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. So he's actually asking you to stop these things. Don't do them. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, what? They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's interesting. (laughs) I once said in a sermon, Lutherans are most afraid of three things. The Virgin Mary, a crucifix, and good works. Right? Because the Lutheran tagline is, I am? Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. So what we know about Dan is he wants to go back to Germany and he doesn't like the Catholics. Okay, all right. All right, I'm just checking. Okay, yes, what you know about Lutheran, yeah, that would be being defined by what you hate and not by what you love. Okay, but Lutherans, you know, the tagline for Lutherans is, well, I'm saved by grace. Guess what? The text isn't talking about being saved. The text is talking about living in community. So um, as one famous Catholic said, grace doesn't cancel freedom. Grace creates freedom. Guess who said that, Dan? Pope Benedict XVI. Okay, go, yeah. <laughs> so grace, does, and this is very important, grace doesn't cancel freedom. When you are saved by grace, That doesn't mean that you become a servant who operates under force or duress. To be saved by grace means you're suddenly free to live the life that Christ has called you to live. And that's where Lutherans oftentimes don't understand Luther or the Lutheran confessions. That's what Luther says. Okay? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, the day in which he returns. Be subject... Be subject. So already, you have a structure in place. Someone who's in charge. Someone who follows. This is the language of authority. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. That translates to the church then when you read the fourth commandment in the large catechism. Remember, I gave it to you last week. What did Luther say last week? Be subject to all these people. Order has to happen or there's chaos. And then he says, I am your father and you are subject to me in all things. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Isn't that great? So how do you silence people that speak against you? Do good. Do good. And good is defined by what? The person of Christ. person of Christ. Someone wrote on their sermon uh, notes last week, how do I know what it is to be a lily? My response was, be Jesus. Okay? Be Jesus. What does Jesus do? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, don't be scared of the light. Jesus says, follow me. And obviously that's easier said than done because you have people all throughout the Gospels who aren't ready to do that. But the life of Christ is the one, is a life of following him all the way to his cross, but it's beyond the cross to his resurrection and to his ascension. Verse 16, live as people who are free. Listen to this. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. This, I promise you, is oftentimes what plagues Lutherans most. What do Lutherans say? I am forgiven and I am free. Therefore, the logical Lutheran conclusion is what? I can do whatever the I want. Right? Okay? Guess what? That's not the case. In fact, you're more bound to Christ than someone who hasn't been forgiven by grace. We'll see this in the next text. Why? As the next text says, be transformed, or the Greek word, have a metamorphosis. Okay? Lutherans think this way that here you are, you know, a darn sinner. I'm on the radio, and I'm not going to say bad things like you did, Dan, like Germany and Roman Catholics. And so you're this darn sinner, and what happens? The Lord comes down, and he says, hey, I love you, I forgive you, or to use technical Lutheran language, I justify you. And what happens? On the outside, you're all forgiven, but on the inside, nothing's changed. And so Lutherans think, I can keep on living however I want to live because at the end of the day, when the Father sees me, what he sees is I've been justified. Guess what? Being forgiven is not a license to do whatever you want to do. In fact, being forgiven means you're joined completely to the flesh and blood, soul and divinity of Christ. Our job, as those who have been forgiven, is to do what Christ does. This is why St. Paul says you have been baptized into Christ. It's a participle of motion. You're out And now you're in. Verse 16. But living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Isn't that interesting? So those of you who voted a different way in the elections, you still ought to be subject to as we prayed forth the wheat-felt wedding for Barack our president. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Isn't that great? Yeah, if you screw up and you get punished for it, there's no good in that. Except that order is brought back and chaos has been, you know, destroyed, and, and finally maybe some wrongs have been made right, but there's no credit to you for that. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now let me just stop right there. It's easy to sort of imagine the context in which St. Peter is writing. You know, people are being killed for the faith, they're baking like bread over the fire, you know, they're having their insides torn out, they're being burned to death, all these sorts of things. It's easy to say, or easy to envision, okay, in the first century, if I was going to be killed for my faith, it's a noble thing to just endure it. But how does that translate to real time today? We live in Wheaton where everybody's a Christian. How does this translate into real time today? How do you endure suffering? Yes. Oh, okay. When the client decides to dump you for your ethics, that's okay, that's good. Yeah, that would be enduring suffering. What else? Have you found it easy to tell the truth or hard to tell the truth? So oftentimes it's very hard. It's easy on little things, like, you know, does blue go with black, right? To which Abby always says, Germany. Germany. That's exactly right. (laughs) What do you always say? You always say it's an, what do you always tell me? I ask Abby about everything, and since, that's why we're black every day. (laughs) Yeah, it's a situation where you tell the truth where there appears to be no benefit for you in telling the truth. So you tell the truth in order to help someone else. And that can be a very difficult situation, primarily because people aren't always ready, or, more than that, willing to hear the truth. As I said to the Joy Group, it may be painful to hear the truth, but you know, at some point, um, we have to realize that it's, it's a matter of life and death. So I said, it's like going to the doctor, and the doctor says you have cancer, and you say, I don't believe that, and just carry on with life. What's gonna happen? You're gonna drop dead, right? I mean, you can not like your doctor for telling you the truth, but God bless your doctor for knowing enough to tell you the truth to help you get well. And so what St. Peter is saying is, this is his task as an apostle. This is the church's task with pastors, and it's our task to be willing to listen to the truth. And of course, the truth needs to be set up against an objective standard, like the Gospels, the Ten Words, the Life of Christ but at some point people have to say although it hurts i'm going to tell the truth and although it hurts i'm willing to listen to the truth verse 21 for to this you have been called because christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps there you go he committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth so he never lied when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Isn't that great? At the end of the day, the Lord will square this all up. And it doesn't matter who you are, we are not good enough to stop the Father from squaring this all up. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So if you have to sum up the 1 Peter text in a sentence or two, what would you say? It gets more practical with the other texts, But in this text, what would you say? Good. Don't live as you used to. Live as an exile, not an emigre. What else? Might be something as simple as this. Grace equals change. Grace equals change. We love grace. We don't always love change. And the change is always being conformed, then, to the person of Christ. Okay? Make sense? If it doesn't make sense, you should stop me. It is, it is yes, exactly. Um, did you all hear that? Everybody, you know, everybody can sort of perceive their own version of the truth, but to listen to somebody else's version can sometimes be very tough. Um, and, and frankly, to listen to Jesus' version is very difficult. Because um, Jesus, as I said in the sermon for this morning, Jesus has a whole different read on things. What will he see? You know I see something, you might see something. What does Jesus see? And I don't mean that to sort of put on your bracelet that says, what would Jesus do? This is more than that. That's sort of the evangelical, you know Jesus is off in heaven and I try to emulate what I think of him. No, 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 Jesus is in your flesh. He's in your flesh and you can't get around the fact that he calls you to live a particular way because he resides within your body. You can't escape him, and that's a very different, that's a very different reality. And so when people don't tell the truth, um, what you have to ask yourself is, gosh, you know, how much am I denying the person who lives inside of me? And that's helpful, but in the church, the only real truth is truth that's what? Yeah, objectively found in scripture, right? So we have to start with Christ, and we start with his word, and we work from there. Because everybody, if there's a car crash outside, and you have ten people who witnessed it, how many different versions of the scene are you going to have? Ten. Right. But if you ask Christ, you're going to have one. Okay? Now, it gets more practical here. Romans 12. I appeal to you. I mean, he's begging them. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God... To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So if you as the priesthood of the baptized want to worship the Father truly, um, genuinely, how do you do it? Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to the cosmos. But be transformed. Have a metamorphosis by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect for by the grace given to me i say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that god has assigned so you have a couple things going on there one is <laughs> know thyself right? Know thyself. What's the opposite of sober judgment? Who's ever been drunk? Raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. You want to talk about that, see Brusick for confession, okay? But if you, in theory, if you've ever seen one who's, someone who's been drunk, I know none of you have. Carol. <laughs> if you've ever had a little too much scotch, right? What, is, what do you know about someone who's drunk? Judgment is impaired. Yeah, judgment is impaired. That's good. You ever seen the shows where they put on the drunk goggles and they make you drive the car? I mean, everyone is the same because nobody can drive in a straight line. Nobody can walk through the door. Nobody can whatever, right? So what do you know about being drunk? Judgment's impaired. What else? You can't, what do they give you? If, you're, if you get pulled over by the police and they think you're drunk, what do they oftentimes do? They pull you out of the car, they give you a breathalyzer, and then they do What? Make you walk the line. Now, now think about that in terms of Jesus saying, the way to heaven, you know, the way is narrow. Okay? The way is narrow, and you're drunk, what happens? You're not getting in. So he says, don't have drunk judgment. Have sober judgment. That means, you know, all your capacities are intact. You've thought things through. You have the mind of Christ. Have, be sober. Be sober-minded. Have sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, which means what? All of us have different measures of faith. Okay? So the whole idea that we all have the same amount of faith, the same amount of talent, and frankly even the same amount of gifts is not the biblical model. Each should live according to his measure of faith. Which is why we oftentimes talk about spiritual immaturity and spiritual maturity. What you can't hear in that is that the spiritually immature are going to hell. That's not what it means. What it means is the spiritually immature have not been given the same measure of faith at that particular time as the spiritually mature. So if you're setting up a congregation, at whose speed should you operate? The spiritually mature. If you're operating at the spirit, at the level of spiritual immaturity, what will happen to your congregation? It'll never move. You operate at the speed of the spiritually mature, and when you put leaders into place, who do you look for to lead? Who do you look to to lead? The spiritually mature. Okay, the spiritually mature. This is what St. Paul says. I mean, just look at this. Be sober-minded, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, and realize that everybody has a different measure of the faith. For as in one body, we have many members, and <laughs> the members do not all have the same function. You're not all pastors. I know that's stunning. I'm not a layperson. I know that's stunning. You're the priesthood of the baptized, I'm the priesthood of the ministry. We have very different functions, and never shall the twain meet. Okay? we're all members of the same body but we do not all have the same function so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another now that's interesting we're all members of one another we're not just members of Christ we're members of one another which is why the Eucharist you know in some churches some churches don't do this ours does the Eucharist you know when you're kneeling at the rail it's actually good to look across why because you're members of one another And I've said this before, if you have a sin, even if it's not against someone in this community, it damages the whole community because we're members of one another. Okay? We're members of one another. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. We all have different amounts of grace. Let us use them if prophecy prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now this is important because I said this to the women on Friday mornings as we read the Desert Mothers. What we were in search of on Friday morning was a simplified life. And I said at one point, The problem with our congregation is we have all these different areas in which to be be involved. And what happens? You feel like a failure if you're not involved in all of them. Guess what? When you're involved in all of them, you do none of them very well. And guess who suffers? The church and you and your family. Exactly. What does St. Paul say? What he says is... Each one according to his own gift. If it's it's prophecy, then in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then do it with zeal. You're not going to have all of these gifts. And part of our mistake is we think we can do all things well. Guess what? The only one who can do all things well is Jesus. Okay? Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Literally, without hypocrisy. So don't say one thing and do another. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, philios. outdo one another in showing honor. So there is, is actually a competition. There is actually a competition. Outdo one another in showing honor. I mean, that's what we should do. Instead of March Madness, let's have you know, our own little chart up that says, let's see who's showing the most honor. At the end, you get a prize. Outdo one another in showing honor. Why? It's good for the community to say to one another, I want to to be more honorable and do more honorable things than the guy next to me. Why? That only makes us better and not worse. If we all say it doesn't matter what I do, what happens to the congregation? Death. And that would be, by the way, the lowest common denominator, spiritual immaturity, and not the highest. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Give them a eulogy. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And the Greek word there... Where's Peter Savitsky? I was hoping you weren't in the room. Okay. The Greek word there, I'm kidding, the Greek word there is "kyrie," which is the exact same word used at the Annunciation when the angel says to Mary, rejoice. It says here, "Kyrie with those who kairi. Rejoice with those who rejoice. So the first person you ought to rejoice with is whom? Jesus' mommy. Okay, why? Because you are no different than she is. You're no different than she is. Rejoice with those who rejoice. I know, I just like picking on you. I know, okay. Hey, don't say that in front of Kovic, okay? I'm really sorry. I'm really trying to limit the number of big C references, if you know what I mean. I do. Okay? We're only going to teach next week in German, okay? Wie geht's mit dir heute? Ah, yeah, danke, gut. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, gut, danke. Okay. We are on the rate. Would you like to say anything else? You're on a roll this morning. Okay. Yeah. Ex- <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was gonna say something, but I won't. Weep with those who weep. Now you know it doesn't say there. Pretend like you know what they're going through. <laughs> One of the great sins is when people say, "I know exactly what you're going through," and you want to say, "You have no idea what I'm going through." But that doesn't mean you can't show sympathy or be empathetic. Live in harmony with one another in koinonia. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of God. We we need to wake up every morning and not just say, I'm baptized. You need to wake up every morning and, as the book of Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve. That's a reality. And it takes a conscious decision every day, and that is not anti-Lutheran, Once you've been baptized, your will is free. And you can say to the Lord, I'm not going to do it today, or you can say to the Lord, I'd really love to give this a try. He's hoping it's the latter. If possible, verse 18, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So if you really want to get back at someone who's done evil to you, what do you do? Yeah, you go above and beyond the call of duty, and you actually do good to them. And that actually, there's room for that. I mean, that's why St. Paul says you heap burning coals on their head the way you don't get back at your enemy is by doing evil in return why then you're no different than he or she is okay do you have anything right now pastor i got one more text but i only have about 6 minutes and i don't want to rush through it do you have any comments thoughts suggestions <laughs> i'm just i'm just trying to defer to you buddy <laughs> Okay, well, yes, Mr. Lee. Well, the first thing is faith, okay, did you all hear that? I don't know if I can repeat it all, but the basic question was, the text talks about increasing in faith and being given grace in different measures. If that's true, do we ever reach, um, you know, sort of the point of the, do we ever reach the point of faith where we could say, this is the full measure that I was given? So do you ever sort of come to the fullness of faith? First thing is, faith never talks about itself. So if you have faith, you're not asking yourself, how much faith do I have? Right? Because faith is a gift, and actually faith is Christ. Okay? So the faith of Christ is really the person of Christ. So faith never talks about itself. Um, Do you ever come to the fullness of what was intended? Um, Yeah, the Lord might give it, but that doesn't mean you're willing to receive it. So your whole life is this ongoing battle back and forth between what the Lord gives and what you really want. I mean, if it wasn't up to you or me, if it was really just up to the Lord, you'd have full blast, perfect faith right now. Um, But as the great heresy at Burger King says, have it your way. And that'll what? That'll utterly destroy you. Because your way deep down, Larry, you're a good guy. But when you go home, you really don't want everything the Lord wants to give. Right? So faith never talks about itself. Yes, the Lord can give it. You're not always willing to receive it. However, I would say to you, you should strive after receiving the gifts that Christ intends to give. And as he gives them, he will give you more grace and he will give you more faith. So someone, this is how it should be in a perfect world, in theory. Someone in the joy group should be the most spiritually mature person in the congregation. Why? They've spent 80 years going to the Eucharist. They've spent 80 years in contact with the gifts they should be, you know, a thousand times more spiritually mature than someone who's 10, 12, 15, 20, 30. Now, it doesn't always work out that way. But that's the way Christ intends his church to work. And there is, and you cannot be afraid of talk of growing. I mean, this is the way the scriptures talk. Grace upon grace. And, and growing in the divine nature. Growing in who Christ is. And that, this is, why, this is why the proper preface for the ascension says, he goes up to heaven to make us partakers of his divine nature. What he wants to do is give you the fullness of himself, okay? Anything else? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I think at some point, um, well, it's, it's, a similar, it's a similar question to say, what do you do with kids who live in a house where the parents abuse them? What about the Fourth Commandment? Well, at some point, parents stop being parents. And at some point, authority stops being authority. Um, you know, that's not the culture we live in. That's not the culture we're necessarily talking about here. It is a good theoretical question because it does happen. At some point, authority does stop being authority and it becomes power. And at that point, you can't live under it in the same way that God intends you to live under it. Same thing with, you know, it, the worst thing a mother can do if she's getting beaten, you know, beaten by her husband is to say, I'm going to stay in the house. No, because at some point he stops being a husband. Or at some point, a parent stops being a parent. And then it's actually the responsibility under the fourth commandment is to leave. Okay? Anything else? Yes. Yeah, that's the key. (laughs) Yeah, because sometimes the heaping burning coals becomes what? Kind of (laughs) fun. Yeah, exactly. So here's my advice. Don't worry about, I mean, here's the thing. At some point, your your enemies can become your idol. At some point, your enemies can be all-consuming. So don't think about your enemies and just live the life that Christ wants you to live. And if he wants to heap burning coals on their heads, he's going to do it whether or not you do it. I mean, it doesn't matter to him. He's going to do it. This is why it says, entrust yourself to the one who judges justly and vengeance is mine. Okay? Let's pray and let's go. Thanks for your patience. We'll come back one more week and then, uh, can I have one more week? (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks for coming.